All right. How's everybody doing? Well, it's good to see you, Crossing Church. I hope you're doing well. It's exciting to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. We're celebrating two anniversaries today. Mount Sterling, nine years. Thankful, Father, for that. And Hannibal, 11 years. So we're thankful for both of you, all the impact that you do in the communities that you serve. And together, as a body of believers, we get to serve 10,000 square miles of communities. And uh, it's just absolutely incredible. It's incredible to be part of this church family. And I'm so glad uh, that you're here. We want to welcome you if you're inside or online as well, and that together we can be one body, serving the Lord and learning from the Lord uh, together. So uh, on Thursday, I I preached this message, and it began uh, with talking about people being canceled. And uh, there was this look on people's faces. And I don't know, I don't know if you know what this feels like, but I'm standing up here and I'm saying stuff and people are kind of looking at me. And I'm like, and as I'm going through this and I'm going, do, do you know what it means to be canceled? And uh, how many of you don't know what that means? And there's a bunch of hands that actually went up. So I want to explain it so that, you, you know, you, you're with me on the front end. So uh, American culture, maybe culture in general, world culture, if you do something that you shouldn't do, or at least the culture perceives that you shouldn't do, or say something that you shouldn't say that doesn't fit in with like whatever the culture is saying the norm is, then there is like a, um, uh, there's something that culture can do to you, and that is cancel you, which, is, which means that, that uh, you'd know you'll lose your job, you'll lose your whatever uh, means that you have to communicate with other people. Uh, you may be eliminated from social media. You, and, you know, and all of those things together would be defining what being canceled is. Okay, And it's happened a lot uh, in our culture. And people do get canceled for all sorts of reasons. And right now, if you're watching uh, TV, uh, and you may be into this, uh, you may not be into this, there's this big... Uh, trial going on between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And uh, it's a $50 million uh, defamation lawsuit that Johnny Depp is bringing because allegations were made on social media that he was abusive to his former wife, Amber. And because of that, he lost opportunities to be able to star in major motion pictures. And now all this stuff is coming out and it's cray cray, right? It's just like, whoa. Like the, the, the stories that, if you're listening to any of that, the stories that you're hearing is like, wow. And it all goes back to Johnny Depp being canceled. But there's a lot of people, famous people, that have been canceled. J.K. Rowling was uh, the, the author of uh, all the Harry Potter, Potter novels, was canceled because uh, she made comments about trans culture. Ellen DeGeneres canceled because of a toxic work environment. Lots of people canceled over sexual misconduct like Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly, Louis C.K., Kevin Spacey, Bill O'Reilly, Justin Timberlake. You go on and on and on. People being canceled for that. Sexual misconduct. Even a former president was canceled. So, uh, and, when, and when you think about this cancel culture, 
Some of these, I think, for many of us are very understandable. But some of them, we might have different opinions, even argue about it, because we all have an opinion about whether or not someone should have been or should not have been canceled. Now, we live in a, in a, in a culture, in an age, where this is the reality. And it kind of goes along with political correctness and doxing. You can look that up if you don't know what that is. Gaslighting, that too. Political and class polarization. And we might be uh, want to be very careful uh, about what we say or what we post because we don't want to upset the wrong people, right? And if we do upset the wrong people, what might happen to us? Yeah, you might get canceled. And nobody wants to be canceled, right? And with social media, it is pretty easy for people to say all kinds of things about you that may or may not be true, right? And then if they do on social media, there really is very little, if any, recourse to defend oneself. It's just something that you have to, you have to put up with. I mean, wouldn't we all agree that there's a lot of trolls on social media? And you don't want to get into a fight with a troll? You don't want to get into a match with a skunk? Because you're going to end up stinking, right? And so what do you do? How do you respond? Even this church is not exempt from forms of canceling or doxing or gaslighting. We endured incredible opposition last year uh, when a COVID outbreak happened at our camp. Every major news outlet carried stories about us. Now that was happening at camps all across the country, but we were the ones that got all this coverage. And it was hard. I mean, people, I mean, saying all kinds of evil things. I mean, you can't even imagine some of the emails uh, that, that we received as a church because of that. But before I paint this church as a victim, in full disclosure, I want you to know that there have, have been times in the past where this church has canceled people. What? Yeah, there's been times when we've had a sincere belief that there was a legitimate physical danger that someone would pose if they came in, like we've been threatened or something like that. Uh, or there were people that were seeking to divide us with false teaching or something. And in the past, there have been times for the safety of our congregation, we've actually canceled people. We said you can't come to any of our locations. And I would say that in the past 25 years, that's happened less than 20 times, but it has happened. All that to say, we, are well, we should be well aware of this reality, this, this reality of cancel culture. So with that in mind, today I want to talk to you about the most famous person of all time that was canceled. And canceled literally in every way a person could be canceled. And what that cancellation means to you. Jesus was canceled. You follow and I follow the one person who was canceled above all others. In this series that we're going through right now, it's called Surrounded. And what we've been exploring is the various groups or individuals that surrounded Jesus in his ministry. And like last week when Clayton was preaching, he was talking about his disciples, 
and, and you know, I think that's kind of a positive look, but I'm taking the opposite of that today and taking a look at the negative because Jesus was also surrounded with people who opposed him. He was surrounded by opposition. And I don't know if we ever let it sink in just how saturated Jesus' environment was constantly with opposition. And I'd like to start by kind of proving that to you, okay? So Jesus was opposed even before he was born. I mean, how many of us can say that? That we were opposed before we were born? If you look back at the gospel narrative, what you'll find is that Joseph and Mary endured all of this opposition from family, friends, and neighbors while she was pregnant. Now, some of that may have been understandable at the time because here she is, a girl of 14 or 15. She's betrothed to Joseph, and then she turns up pregnant, and she tells her family it's by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sure that that would have been a hard one for them to believe. As a matter of fact, they didn't believe it. If you look at the inference of the rest of the gospel narrative, you'll see that they actually didn't believe in it. And I'll tell you why. Because they went to Bethlehem in order to register for the census, and Jesus was born there. So she was in her third trimester. It was late term when she had to make that trip. But it was, that, that census was for everyone who was of the house and the lineage of David the king. And both she and her family and Joseph and his family were of that lineage, which means their entire clan, their entire family would have had to go from where they were living up in that area of Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem to register for the census, which means they should have traveled together. But when you read the gospel narrative, you find that Mary and Joseph are alone. And when they get down to Bethlehem, they can't find lodging. Why are they alone? Why wouldn't a girl of 14 or 15 that's getting ready to deliver a child want to be with her family to help her in that delivery? The inference of God's word is that they had been completely canceled by their family. Jesus was opposed when he was still in utero. Opposed when he hadn't even been born yet. Jesus was opposed at his birth. And as a baby, how are you opposed? I mean, all babies, they're just, you know, they're beautiful, cute, right? How could you be opposed as an infant? Well, you may recall that the wise men came soon after Jesus was born, and they went to Herod the king, and they said, uh, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Herod's thinking to himself, well, I'm the king of the Jews, and they start talking about prophecy and all sorts of things. And of course, Herod, in the back of his mind, is going, I don't want anyone usurping the throne from me. And so while Jesus is still an infant, Herod sends out this decree to Bethlehem that every child under two years old is to be killed. So there's this massacre that happens in Bethlehem. But Joseph warned in a dream before this happens, and so Mary and Joseph and the little baby Jesus end up going to Africa, to Egypt, to hide, to survive. Jesus was opposed even as an infant. Jesus was opposed 
by his own people in Nazareth when he reached the age of 30. As a matter of fact, it's recorded that in his first sermon, the outcome was not what you would really want an outcome to be if you were uh, preaching to people. He laid it out in his first sermon, this opposition, and he would have died at that very moment if it wasn't for divine intervention. This is a long scripture, but I want you just to read through the story with me. It's in Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone, look, everyone praised him. That doesn't sound like opposition. They all appreciated him. He must have been really good with his preaching and speaking. So he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. In other words, this is home, right? And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. Well, that doesn't sound like opposed. And were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Everything that he's saying that's so nice that everybody agrees with, right? And then there's this statement. Oh, this statement's a lot bigger. It falls a lot harder than you might think. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask, which means what? Isn't Jesus a, oh, you know the word. And all of a sudden, the sermon flips 180 degrees. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, words from the cross. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you've done, what you've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were, look at that word, furious when they heard this. And they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. I hope none of my sermons end this way. There's not a very many cliffs. You have to go anyway. But he walked right through the crowd. Now there's the divine intervention. He walked through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus was opposed by the people in his own hometown, the people that he grew up with. You know, Jesus was also opposed by the entire religious establishment of Israel. 
as he began to do his ministry, he was constantly and relentlessly opposed. He was opposed because of his associations. He was called a friend of sinners. He would actually eat meals with tax collectors and prostitutes. People that the rest of his culture had already canceled, had already dismissed as basically worthless trash. And he wanted them to understand that the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick, even though they were really all sick. And so he told them parables to try to help them understand what he was actually doing. He told the parable of the lost sheep, that the shepherd went to go get that one lost sheep, even though the 99 were safe. He told the story of the woman searching for the lost coin, even though she had nine, she wanted to find that one coin she lost because it had so much meaning for her. And then he concluded with the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. And so he saw the world as prodigals, as lost boys and girls that needed to find their way home to their father. But the religious establishment did not believe it, didn't follow it. They, they opposed him. They opposed him when he healed people. Can you imagine? Why would you oppose a person who's healing other people? Well, because he did not fit in to all of their social norms, all of their uh, rituals, and not, not the law. He never violated the law, but they had all these traditions that surrounded the law that he did not subscribe to. So he healed the leper and actually touched the leper. And by their oral traditions, that made you ceremonially unclean, but he did it anyway. He showed his love, not just by healing from a distance, but by being up close and personal. He healed the woman with the issue of blood because she thought, all I needed to do was touch the hem of his garment and I'll be healed. And she was. And of course, those Jewish religious leaders would say, well, that makes you ceremonially unclean because she touched the hem of your garment. Jesus is going, she's healed. She's a daughter of Israel. There was a paralytic that was let down through the roof, and Jesus said, before he healed him of his paralysis, he said, my son, your sins are forgiven. People got so angry, they didn't really care that he was physically healed after Jesus said, which is it easier to do? Tell this guy his sins are forgiven or to tell him to take up his bed, rise and walk. And this amazing miracle happens in front of them, but the religious leaders can only think that he said that his sins were forgiven. Or the demoniac in Gadara, when he crossed the Sea of Galilee to get some quiet and peace, here comes a man filled with demons, naked, running at Jesus. That would be frightening in and of itself. Jesus recognized what was going on, stopped him, asked him his name. The demons inside of him answered, our name is Legion, for we are many. He wasn't possessed by a demon. He was possessed by a multitude of demons. And when he cast the demons out, they went into a herd of pigs who immediately ran off a cliff and killed themselves. And the people of that town, instead of having a parade for Jesus, who completely healed this frightening man, 
that had terrorized their community begged him to leave their shores. He was opposed. He was opposed by them because of what he taught in forgiving sin. They said he broke the Sabbath even though he never did. What he did do, though, was something against their traditions. They they, they thought he was guilty of ceremonial uncleanness. When asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus picked the one person that they would all hate in unity. And that was a Samaritan. Because all the Jews hated Samaritans. So he told the parable of the good Samaritan, where he's the hero, and the priest and the Levite, the higher-ups in Jewish religious culture, they're the villains. That didn't win him a lot of friends or influence a lot of people, positively. And maybe the cherry on top was when he told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Some of you may remember a story in the Bible where there was a poor man named Lazarus, Lazarus who was sick and he, had, he was covered with sores and he begged at a rich man's gate. But the rich man would go in and out of his property and never take notice of him and eventually Lazarus dies. The Bible says that he was gathered to Abraham's bosom, basically heaven. And it says later on, the rich man died, and he was in the fires of hell. And the rich man could see Lazarus way off and begged him to dip his finger in some water to place it on his tongue because of the torment that he was under. What you may not know is that the description of the rich man is exactly the description of a man named Caiaphas who was the high priest at that time. So Lazarus, the story may have been a real person who died at the gate of the high priest. Not exactly a story you want to tell if you're trying to make points with the religious establishment. He was opposed by the religious establishment. He was also opposed by the Romans. Now the Romans really didn't care anything about Jesus. To to them, he was just another religious zealot. But when his own people turned against him, Pilate was worried that there would be an uprising and so sentenced him him to death on a cross. So to the Romans, he was just another criminal, a religious zealot who was stirring up problems. And so they crucified him. And even when Jesus was on the cross and there were thieves on either side of him that were being crucified along with him, one of those thieves opposed him. Jesus, if you're the Son of God, save yourselves and us. He said in his own agony. The other thief argued against that thief saying, don't you fear God? This man has done nothing wrong. He was opposed at every turn. And you know what? I haven't even mentioned Satan yet. The fact is that every moment of Jesus' life, every moment of his life, he was facing opposition. He was surrounded by opposition. It was the kind of opposition that's a lot worse than social media. It was the kind who would leave him and forsake him and reject him and hate him and wish him dead and curse him and torture him and kill him in the most ruthless way without even an ounce of mercy. 
And you and I can see him inside of our minds right now, suspended between heaven and earth, and nailed to that cross. He's bleeding, he's sweating, he's dying in agony. He's been rejected by mankind because of his love and his compassion. He's been rejected by God because of all the sin that he's bearing for the whole world. And in that moment of suspension, you see the most violent picture of cancellation. And when he took his last breath and died on that cross, a Roman soldier made sure of it by putting a spear up underneath his ribcage into his vital organs. When they were sure he was dead, they took him down and pried his body off of that horrible cross and entombed it. And they said, there, he's canceled. Oh, but three days later, there was a rude awakening coming. Because they had this whole cancellation thing all wrong. Jesus wasn't canceled. He was doing the, counsel, the canceling. He was doing it. Listen, he canceled his own death. Who does that? Oh yeah, you canceled me, you killed me? Watch this. Boom. He rose from the dead. He canceled the stripes that were on his back. Those stripes, forget it. They're gone. The wounds from the crown of thorns that were on his brow, he canceled those. He canceled the curses that were shouted at him. He canceled the Roman authority. He canceled the Jewish leader's judgment upon him. He only kept the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the, and the scar on his side to prove who he was. And he wore them like badges of honor. He canceled the separation between God and man that was in the temple. That nine-inch thick veil ripped from the top to the bottom. Canceled that separation between God and him and God and you. He canceled the payment for all of your sin. He canceled the power of the law over you. He canceled the power of sin in your life. He canceled, listen, your death. He canceled your hell. He canceled Satan himself. You know what he did? He canceled our cancellation. That's what sin's done to us. Spiritually speaking, it canceled us all. Turned us into hopeless people. But like we sang a little while ago, Jesus is our hope. And he canceled that cancellation. Now some of you said, oh, let's pray and sing. It's time. That sermon's over. Oh, no, it's not. I'm just getting started. Listen, Jesus knew this was going to happen. It had been prophesied. Isaiah prophesied that he would be opposed. Look at Isaiah 53.3. He was despised. This is 700 years before Jesus was born. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. The Bible calls him the stone that the builders rejected. Look at Mark 12. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's the most important stone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. He's become a stone of stumbling for those who would oppose him in 1 Peter chapter 2. 
it says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Amen? But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you know what? That was all part of God's plan. Because saving you, that was his plan. He endured the cross because of the joy of seeing you come back into relationship with your heavenly father. And now, listen, here's where we're going. He calls you to follow him in that opposition. What? What? I thought if I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, everything is rainbows and butterflies. I thought if I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, it's all going to be great now. Well, depends on your point of view. Jesus said that if you would follow him, you would be opposed. That you'd be hated. That you'd be persecuted. Listen to his voice in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. That's following him. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. Persecute you. Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. He said that no student would be above his teacher. That if the teacher endured it, the student would as well. This is uh, in Matthew chapter 10. It says the student's not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called, this is another word for Satan, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. He said they hated me, they'll hate you. That's in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, Keep in mind, it hated me first. He said, pray for people who persecute you on account of me. Look at Matthew 10, 35. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It means this, is going to get, this could get in your own family, right? This opposition. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you, that's part of your testimony right now. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me, not worthy of me. Wow. Opposition. Jesus was encircled by it. And when we step into his circle, we step into opposition. There's not a place here where there's middle ground. I know a lot of us, we've gone, we kind of, like if this was the like line, like I want, here's, here's Jesus' circle and here's kind of my worldly life and you're kind of living a schizophrenic spiritual life where you're trying to be in both places at once. It really doesn't work out that way. To step into Jesus' circle is to step into opposition, to be surrounded by opposition and you got to ask yourself, if you're not being opposed because of your faith, are you standing 
in the right place? Are you standing in the circle of Jesus? Some of you are going, wow, you had me going there right up until, you know, he canceled our cancellation. And now I'm kind of going, man, it's all supposed stuff. Why would I want to go and step into that circle? Because that doesn't sound like a good place. Oh, oh, yes, it is. Salvation's in that circle. You want that? That's where it is. Salvation is in that circle. Grace is in that circle. Peace is inside that circle. Hope is inside that circle. And purpose and joy and meaning and understanding and truth and love and light and every other good thing because that is where Jesus is. And when you're with Jesus, all of those things are realities, but you have to be inside his circle. Outside of that circle is where all those who attempt to cancel Jesus stand. It is the place of opposition. I stand inside the circle with Jesus, but I don't stand alone. Anybody here standing with me? Anybody in this, anybody across all our locations standing with me? Stand inside that circle? You know why? I stand with my Savior. Do you stand with Him? I can't hear you. Do you stand with Him? I stand in the heavenly light of my heavenly Father. Do you stand in that light? I do too. It's awesome. I stand empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you stand empowered by the Holy Spirit? Praise God for that. I stand surrounded by a spiritual family who has crossed over that line. Isn't that awesome? Say amen. I stand with my armor on, and so should you. But listen, I stand... Stepping as close to the edge of that circle as I can get without crossing over so that I can grab a hold of a hand in the form of a fist set against me and my heavenly Father and my Savior so that I can grab that hand and pull them into the orbit of my canceled Savior and Lord who dies and lives again to break through that hard heart and fill them and me with life. That's what it's all about. And if standing in opposition is the price to pay for pulling people into the orbit of Jesus, well then, come on! Because there's nothing more beautiful in this world than finding a person who finds their Heavenly Father and experiences the joy of a Savior. We're moving to a time of decision. (laughs) So I still got to preach an Easter sermon. (laughs) I just did it today. Because that's what it's all about. That's the joy of it. So I'm going to ask you a, a hard question. Can you say that you have stepped over the line into an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that some of you might be thinking, well, that line you're talking about, Jerry, is kind of metaphorical. It's kind of like a nebulous kind of spiritual thing. Not really. Not really. Jesus gave us some very concrete things to do to define that because he knows we need those kinds of concrete things. that we're kind of tactile people. We're, you know, senses people. 
right? <clears throat> and that's why, he, that's why he said, unless you confess me before others, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. Some people may wonder, because there's a lot of churches that don't do what we're doing right now, and that is offer an invitation. Like in a minute, everybody's going to stand up, and we're going to ask people to come up and respond to an invitation. An invitation to do what? An invitation to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. There's going to be somebody standing right over there at that baptistry. And if you've never made that decision, you can confess that today. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're coming up to that line. You're taking a hard look at that line. And you're going, stepping over the line. It's a physical, tangible way, right? You know what's going to happen then? They're going to dress you up in some clothes that are, that are going to get wet. You're going to get in that water. Well, that's going to be uncomfortable. I don't look good wet. You're going to get in that water, and you're going to confess Christ publicly and openly. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want Him as my personal Lord and Savior. You're stepping over that line, and guess what's going to happen? Guess what's going to happen? They're going to lay you down in that water, and they're going to raise you back up out of that water. There was a line you stepped over a long time ago. It was called birth. You know, that, that's, that's a pretty big moment in your life, right? Birth. Do you know Jesus told Nicodemus in the book of John, you must be born again. He said, how can I enter back into my mother's womb and come out? That doesn't make any sense to me. He goes, you need to be born of the water and the spirit. You need to be spiritually born. You know what you're experiencing? You're experiencing a, a birth. Not only that, in Romans chapter 6, it says when you're laying down in that water, when you go down in that water, you are uniting with the death of Jesus Christ. Like they lay you down in death. Under that water, buried. That old person, of, that person used to be buried. You come up out of the water, just like Jesus raised from the dead, you raised to newness of life. Stepping over the line. I invite you today, everyone here in this room, everyone online, I invite you to take advantage of stepping over the line today. Some of you are going, I already stepped over that line, Jerry. Well, good. Praise the Lord. How many of you are struggling with one foot on either side of that line? How many of you are struggling with the idea of opposition? That you just want everybody to get along. And so you won't stand up for your faith. You'd rather kind of be stealthy, kind of under the radar. Because you don't want people thinking that you might actually be one of those crazy people that actually take God at his word. Some of you may be committed to your faith in Jesus Christ, but you're carrying the burden of someone else that's losing their way. And you need God to put you in an opportunity where you can share and make a difference. You know, the steps are all around this stage and all of our stages at all of our locations for Christian people to come up and do business with God. And there is never a time that you, where you honestly bend your knee to your Heavenly Father 
that he doesn't provide more than you ever could ask or imagine. And he will today. Regardless of what burden you're carrying that you need to lay down, I'm telling you, you're going to meet your heavenly father up here. And he's going to make a difference. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. In Jesus' name, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we realize that in and of ourselves we couldn't have done any of this, but it was all accomplished completely and amazingly accomplished when your son died on the cross and rose from the dead. And I pray, Father, in this moment that whatever you may be saying to our hearts, as you speak in that quiet voice that we would listen and then we would obey. I pray, God, give us the courage to move, even if it means moving into a circle where on the outside of that circle there's opposition for the sake of the one who endured all the opposition of the world so that we could live and move in his circle. In Jesus' name, amen.